Welcome to the Smiles Matter podcast by Microdental Laboratories. I'm Laura Kelly, and it's my pleasure to host Comeback Strategies for today's dental practice. We ultimately made the decision to exit all of the insurance programs for which we were providers. And we made our practice truly and completely a fee-for-service practice. Little Rock, the capital and the largest city in Arkansas, is known as the cultural, economic, government, and transportation center within Arkansas. Although foresting and agriculture remain strong in the Arkansas Timberlands, today tourism, aerospace, transportation, and logistics figure prominently in Arkansas's economy. Little Rock is also the city where companies such as Dillard's Department Stores, Windstream Communications, Simmons Bank, and Central Flying Services are headquartered, and the place where some movers and shakers within the dental community, like Dr. Sam Strong, have developed remarkable careers. Prominent associations such as Blue Cross and Blue Shield, AT&T, L'Oreal Paris, and the University of Arkansas have also contributed to the progress of Little Rock. But is it fair to assume that this city is exempt from the effects of an economic downturn or challenges like the ones that we are facing today? I am pleased to introduce Dr. Sam Strong. Originally from Hope, Arkansas, Dr. Strong earned his DDS degree from Baylor College of Dentistry in Dallas, Texas. He established a private practice in West Little Rock after serving in the U.S. Navy. Dr. Strong is a recognized expert in aesthetic and implant dentistry and holds diplomat status in the International Congress of Oral Implantologists and the Academy of Dental Medicine. He is also the co-founder of the Strong Massad Heat Molded Impression Tray, the Massad Jaw Recorder, and the Incisal Edge Lip Ruler. A highly respected author, Dr. Strong frequently lectures on restorative implant and aesthetic procedures throughout the world. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Sam Strong. Good afternoon, Dr. Strong. Thank you so much for joining us today. And it's an honor to be able to speak to you and just connect and be able to share some information that we hope will be really interesting and useful for the people that are faced with these challenging times right now. You know, just to learn a little bit more about you, I think it's really fascinating for people. I know if it is for myself to find out how you became interested in dentistry. Well, my father was a dentist in a small town in southern Arkansas, Hope, Arkansas, the same hometown for President Bill Clinton. And my father was the dentist in that little town for a very long time. So I grew up seeing how he worked in the office and how his dedication to his patients and his profession proceeded as I grew up. And, you know, coming from Hope, Arkansas, I think this is what we need to hear right now. This is, <laughs> this is great. And there is, there's a lot of family, I know a lot of dental families out that will be able to relate to that story too. So, you know, looking back and how many years you've been practicing and different, you know, challenges that have presented themselves, you know, throughout your career, are there any specific strategies looking back and then, and also looking forward with what we're dealing with today that you've utilized to, you know, just maintain some stability and focus during these kind of periods that you can share? Well, I was thinking about some of the challenges that we've gone through in the process of our practice and the growth of our practice. And there are a number of challenges through our 40 years of practice, including the 9-11 crisis, the economic crisis of 2008, and also the AIDS crisis. Many of our younger dentists are, are too young to realize that AIDS presented a, an extremely severe threat to dentistry at the time it was initiated. But 9-11 resulted in practically a 
complete business shutdown for us for at least a period of time because very few patients were coming in for treatment. There was so much fear and uncertainty about what was going to happen in our country. And unlike today, there were no loans or guarantees from the government for business to come help us pay our bills and pay our employees during that time. But I'd like to mention another challenge that was much more long-term than 9-11 or AIDS or some of those others. And that was uh, the challenge of dental insurance. Uh, Early on in our practice, through the 1980s and 90s, dental insurance became much more of an issue for us. And we ultimately made the decision to exit all of the insurance programs uh, for which we were providers. And we made our practice truly and completely a fee-for-service practice. I remember at that time, we had over one-third of our patients enrolled in all the major dental insurance programs. And so we had to be prepared for losing a large portion of them with our fee-for-service practice decision. So obviously that was a critical decision that determined the future of our practice. Mm -hmm. When did that occur for you in your practice? When did you make that shift? That was in the early 1990s. And at that time, through the 80s and 90s, there was an entity called capitation, which is really not much of an issue anymore. But capitation was a dental insurance format that really threatened a lot of our fee-for-service practices. So we had to develop some strategies to counteract that and to make our practice more distinguished. Yeah, this is interesting because there are unique situations. And that would be really interesting to hear a little bit more about how did you go about your patient communication when you made that shift? That was a major decision on our on our part and required a lot of planning on our part to make ourselves become successful with fee-for-service. So when we decided to go completely fee-for-service, we were then, and we still remain, one of the very few practices in our city or state who are not insurance-based. So obviously, that hasn't been easy to maintain. I think it was the right decision for us, uh, but it was hard to maintain that status because many patients in our area never call our number since we're not on the network list. But what we did find is that with certain strategies that I'll go into, we retained almost all of our clientele, including those already enrolled with insurance companies, by implementing various strategies. And it seemed to be a fortuitous turn of events. At that time, we began working with one of the first dental practice management companies in the country. And that company was devoted to fee-for-service offices. And that was the Pride Institute. And its founder, Dr. Jim Pride, became a mentor to our practice and uh, all of his staff people. So from, at least partially, from the training that we received from the Pride Institute, we began to develop these office systems to train all of our staff in the verbal skills and the operational systems that distinguished our practice and made it attractive to all of our patients, whether they were insurance-based or not. I've often said, you don't just become successful because you decide uh, you're going to do one thing or another. You have to really work at it. So we entered into a comprehensive total office effort from the way our office looked how it presented to patients and in person and on the phone, to how clean our office was, what the appearance of our office was internally and externally, 
we focused on the way patients were handled on the phone, the new patient exam, how the hygiene appointments were handled, all of those things completely through the case presentation and financial arrangements and completion of procedures. I remember that at that time we learned to role play. And so we sent, spent sessions with our staff learning the verbal skills to handle financial arrangements, case presentation, and all the things that, that we talk about in our office every day. And also remember that during this period, that was about the time the revolution in cosmetic dentistry came about, which uh, you and Academy of uh, Cosmetic Dentistry were very much involved in. And so were we. So we began expanding this part of the practice. We took our training to learn the skills to provide large-scale, comprehensive aesthetics dentistry. We focused on that. And we aligned ourselves with Microdental Lab at that time to give us quality results that you know we were looking for. And we found that that area of dentistry fit very well with attracting both insurance and non-insurance patients. So that was very much a part of our focus through the 90s and on into through the turn of the century and has continued to be uh, very successful for us. I love hearing that. And um, there's a lot of people I know that were affected by uh, Dr. Jim Pride and, and the efforts that he was able to have on dentistry. And this transition, you know, about how long do you think it took you to transition into the practice model that you have now and anything that surprised you or that, uh, you know, you were planning for and happened or didn't happen? <laughs> I think our evolution through aesthetic dentistry, offering aesthetic dentistry, as well as implant prosthetics and surgical procedures, all of that was an evolution. And so we had to start small, but we built on that. So it did take several years to get us to the point where we could confidently and effectively offer those procedures, complete those procedures and get patient acceptance. You know, implants was certainly a, a big part of that period as well. Take back to the 1980s when implants were a very small part of dentistry and look at how major that's become in our day. All of that didn't happen just overnight, but it happened because of a focus on what we were doing. I'd also remember that in the, in the area of aesthetic dentistry, we learned we had to take some, some training and learn those skills. So there were places and institutes available for us to do that at that time, and there are even more now. So I, I think we all have to find the field that we want to focus on. For me, it's dentistry is too large for me to get my arms around all of it and provide all of the services with great care. So whatever the dentist is interested in, I think is where we should focus and continue education and lab support to be able to provide that effectively. This is really great. And I mean, you're, you're really sharing, like you're investing in yourself, you're picking a, a direction and a commitment that, you know, is what's fulfilling for you. And then it's also really providing, you know, the highest care that you can, right, for your patient in, in the way that feels good to you and your team, you know, and, and you really invested a lot in that that's gotten you where you are today. I'm curious, any specific strategies for your patient communications now, you know, during this time where you don't, you're not having the patients coming in and don't know exactly when they're going to be coming in. Is there anything that you're doing now? 
Well, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about that because unfortunately we've had a lot of time to think as our office has procedures or operations have been suspended due to this virus crisis. And I was also thinking about some similarities to the 9-11 era versus ours now. And there, there are some similarities, but there's also some differences because we certainly had a lot of confusion and fear about what was going to happen in the future to us from 9-11. And there certainly was an economic downturn in dentistry as a result. But we had to be ready to get back to work. And we had to have faith that our country would successfully overcome this threat to our way of life, just like we have to have faith that we will overcome this virus crisis. What I think at this point in time that all of us as dentists need to do is to make plans for when we are able to return to to work and make our plans for returning to the, the best care possible for our patients. And obviously, with uh, this virus issue, obviously, we need to develop even more detailed procedures for disinfection and sterilization than we've ever done before. And we've always been at the forefront of that in dentistry. But I think as a dentist now, we need to develop these plans in writing and develop written guidelines for disinfection and sterilization that we can clearly deliver to all of our staff. And we also need to communicate these protocols to the patients so that they can feel confident that they're being treated in a safe environment. I know that's gonna be a concern to all of our patients that they can come in and expect to be treated safely in our offices. You know, again, you mentioned Dr. Pride. Dr. Pride instilled in us the need for leadership and leadership was actually the title or a number of the management programs that we went through. And he emphasized that we as dentists have to exhibit that leadership at all times, but especially in times of trouble. I feel strongly that the leadership has to come from the dentist top down to all the members of the office. You know, all of us, especially the dentist in charge of the office, we have to walk the walk, the attention to detail and all these office procedures and disinfection. So we've got to go back through retraining our staffs. We also need to continue close partnerships with our dental supply companies and our dental labs with whom we work. You know, as a, as a, as a solo dentist for so long, it's easy to become isolated in our offices. And so we may or may not know what's going on out in the rest of the world, but I want to avail ourselves of the broad experience our labs have working with hundreds or thousands of other offices. I want to know what's working well and what's not. I think back to 2008, thinking of strategies, when the economy went into a severe recession. And just a small example, I found out that we could no longer successfully get case acceptance for some of the large implant procedures that we had been doing. And so one of the things I found was that with implant overdentures, we could successfully, in at least some cases, provide overdentures without splinting the implants together with bars. And previously, we had always been taught that we had to tie those implants together with bars in order to have a successful structural environment. But we found that in some cases, we didn't have to do that. And 
I found that I could provide that service for many of our patients with a, a significant reduction in their expense to the point I've published and lectured on that extensively since then. So I, I think that strategically, our dentists are well-trained in the procedures and that need to be provided. And I know all of our dentists will continue to be well-trained. I'm not worried about the skill sets that dentists can provide. What I know we will need to communicate to our patients is that, that we're going to be extremely diligent in the area of disinfection and sterilization. I'd just like to say that we know we have a great country. We're built on sound principles and those principles have made us the envy of the rest of the world. I don't want to minimize what we're going through right now because it is severe and it is frightening, but I know we'll survive this virus crisis. And eventually we're going to have another return to a vibrant society and economy. Dentistry will, will, uh, will gain from that and will be a part of that recovery. But as you mentioned earlier in this, Laura, we have to remain positive in the face of this current dilemma. I have a quote from Winston Churchill. Churchill said, attitude is a small thing. It makes a very big difference. And in the face of all this adversity, with all the things we're facing, I know we'll come out on the other end successful, but we do have to remain positive. Now, thank you for including me in this because I know I've seen a lot of things that have come and gone in dentistry, uh, but I'm very confident in the future of dentistry as well as the country to get through this. Thank you, Dr. Strong. Your words are powerful and inspirational, talking about trust and relationship and communication. And it's just, it's an honor to share this time with you and to know you and have you in the healthcare profession, changing the lives of so many people through what you and your team do. Thank you for sharing some great strategies and just focus on what we should all be looking at now and how to come out of this better and stronger together. So thank you again for your time. And I look forward to connecting with you again and sharing some more clinical expertise. So thank you so much, Dr. Strong. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the Smiles Matter podcast, created by Microdental and Modern Dental Laboratories. For more information, you can go to our website, www.microdental.com slash smilesmatterpodcast. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are available. Thank you for listening, because we believe that smiles matter.